0: It's the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast with your host, Jill Riley. On this podcast, Jill explores what faith can look like after trauma. Hi, I'm Jill Riley. I am an author and a minister. I am also a trauma survivor and live with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety, and a dissociative disorder. My prayer is that post traumatic faith will bring you hope and joy in your own journey. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I have Jared Deal with us. Jared, it's nice to have you here.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Jared and I are on a marathon today. We just <laughs> recorded his podcast, Louder Now, and now we're recording this one. So if we run out of words, then that's the reason why.
1: <laughs> uh Yes. Yes we just did a, my, uh, my podcast and it was great. And uh, yeah, we were just saying before we started recording that um, this is like the first time we're like back to back,
0: back to back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so, well, it's, it's a pleasure talking to you and I enjoyed our conversation and I'm um, looking forward to um, part two here. So Jared is the originator of louder now podcast. Jared, tell us how that started.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, um, the name actually originated maybe in like 2016. I had a blog that I've had since about 2007. And about nine months into the blog, I started writing poetry because of my mental illness. But the blog was called The Ruckus Journal, which was a journal I had in high school that had nothing to do with anything serious. It was just like goofy (laughs) stories of my friends. And then when I started blogging, in 2007, which was kind of right when blogging was cool and everybody was doing it.
0: Right. I was like,
1: I, I think I originally called the blog, like the life of Jared deal, which is not really creative at all. So I was like, Oh, the ruckus journal, that sounds nice. And then I had a tagline that said, like sitting in his presence is a great disturbance. And it was when I was like, just really focused on like preaching the gospel. And I don't know, it was like, really yeah, intense. And then about 10 years later, I was like, oh, I think I should change it to louder now. Because that goes along the theme of like ruckus is to make a noise. Right. Um, So then when I started podcasting about two and a half years ago, I just was like, oh, that sounds like a good name for a podcast. And I guess I kind of wanted it to be like, you know, this is the thing I want to make a noise about, which is mental health and my, my struggles and God in kind of the midst of that. So that's the long answer. So, so. <laughs> louder
0: now comes from the ruckus journal. I like it. Yeah. So, but yeah. you did just make a statement. You said back when blogging was cool, is blogging no longer cool because oh, I'm a yeah. blogger. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: you know what? I still blog too. So, um, sorry, I meant to say, that's probably not the best way to say it back when it, it felt like everybody was st- trying to blog. I guess. <laughs> and I was in like Bible college when I started mine, and everybody was blogging. Like that was the thing, ah. it was right? It was right when Facebook just started to kind of come on the scene when I think like, so my friend Zach, he was one of my best friends at the time, still a close friend, but he, he would like blog on his website. So he didn't even like use like blogger or yeah. whatever, whatever they had. So sorry, that's not what I meant. It is cool. Cause I know you blog, <laughs> and I still do too. I, I post poetry a lot and that's mostly what my blog is, is poetry. Um, so anyway.
0: So, um, you and I connected off of, I think a Facebook post where, um, you know, we, uh, you married the idea of mental health with faith, which is what I talk about and what you talk about. And that's kind of right. how we connected. So, um, Talk to me about your faith journey. Were you raised in the church? Were you raised um, not in the church? Yeah, great
1: question. Um, Definitely grew up like in church from, you know, before I was born (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And uh, grew up with really, my parents actually were um, kind of newly saved when they got married. And they they had a passion for ministries, so they actually tried to start a church in Arizona, which is where I was born. And I have one older sister, so she she was born a few years before that. And so that didn't last very long. They had high ambitions to be like pastors. And then um, we kind of settled in Colorado, and then we we I was a part of like a really big church there that was very charismatic, non-denominational. Um, so yeah, I remember, you know, praying the Lord's prayer when I was like five or six and doing it like multiple times because Mm. I thought that's what you did. Like wanted to, you know, I doubted my salvation probably as a little kid. And then I was always really involved in church too. So I remember when I was like 10, I got, I was on like, it was called the fresh fire, very charismatic, fresh fire drama team. So we did, ah. like, dramas for the church and it was like ministry training and that really actually stuck. Um, did I, you
0: do I, like the human videos and stuff?
1: Kind of. Yeah. So I went to Mexico, I think like three summers in a row and we did like this skit called like the bridge. And I think one summer I played the devil, um, which you know made me popular with the ladies. And since I was like kind of dark <laughs> tan skinned, And everybody else was white, like Fort Collins, Colorado, everybody's white. So people thought I was like Hispanic. And I was like, well, actually, I don't know because, you know, my mom was adopted. And at the time, we didn't really know. She never looked into it until like years later. And so I looked Hispanic, even though I had like green eyes, which is not a Hispanic thing. So anyway, um, that was my experience was just, and a lot of my friends, some of my friends, they're parents were like pastors at our church so they were like pastors kids okay like my mom would speak at like women's retreats and and um yeah my mom was very like prophetic and very she traveled as a flight attendant but she would like come home with tons of stories all the time of like she was an evangelist like she Uh
0: would
1: pray for people on trips and she'd have dreams she was a dreamer um, so I just grew and very much into like intercession, you know, which is mm-hmm. like intentional prayer for people, and she would pray in tongues, and like that was just like what I, I was like, this is what everybody yeah. does, you know, this is what, and I could think, I think I had a feeling of like, if you weren't charismatic, then you were like you know, doing something wrong, you right. Know?
0: You're like, missing out on a whole part of the gospel if you're not charismatic.
1: Yeah. And that's just, so that was a little, little bit of, and then, yeah, my last two years of high school, I had stopped playing hockey because I played hockey competitively, which did take up a lot of time. And I got really involved in like a discipleship program um, <clears throat> with the church. And yeah, I wanted to go into ministry besides also wanting to be like an actor. I like wanted to preach. That was like mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. You know, so
0: and so that led you to spending time in the International House of Prayer in Cleveland, Kansas City, Kansas City. Sorry, yeah, no worries. And so, what was that experience like? Um,
1: yeah, wow, that was intense. Um, so a little bit of background with the House of Prayer they are, it's like not a church, but kind of a church. Um, right. It's more of like a missions organization, kind of like YWAM. Um, and they, Mike Bickle, he who, he was a pastor for a lot of years, basically just felt like God told him through a bunch of s- stories and through a lot of prophetic stuff to start a 24-7 prayer room, um, To at which was, that's what it was. It was like 24 hours a day. There was a place where you could go, where there was worship and prayer. T- that didn't stop. And he kind of modeled it after like the tabernacle of David in the old Testament, where David had singers and musicians. Um, and that was kind of the mandate, you know, passed from Solomon to him of like this, this thing. So he was, you know, using that as kind of the biblical example, but, um, you know, it's not normal to go to a church and for there to be like a prayer room where it's like open all the time, <laughs> twenty four hours, so right? I I went right when I after high school and I did the night watch, which was twelve a.m. to six a.m. You you you're in this prayer room and then there was classes and it was an internship and yeah, I slept from like seven a.m. to like three p.m. That was kind of the schedule, which is a horrible idea. For most people, as far as even though the spiritual part was awesome and challenging, the physiological effect of that, so I did that for that's three,
0: exhausting,
1: yeah, oh yeah, I did that for three years, and I ended up um doing their school, so I was like in class from like three p m to six p m and then like I helped run like the internships, I was like a leader with that, and then I was always in school. And so, yeah, it was just like a crazy schedule of just constantly, you know, doing God stuff (laughs) from like, and then, yeah, um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yeah, then at at 21, I started having problems with my own mental health, um, after about three years of that like schedule.
0: Yeah. So talk about, talk about your struggle with, um, with mental illness, uh, that kind of began to manifest, um, Bigger during that time, right?
1: yeah, for sure. i I do think as a kid, I did have a lot of symptoms of depression and anxiety that I think I carried with me into that that house of prayer time. Um, you know it's your first time being away from home, which is very common in the college years for kids to have like mental breakdowns because it's like you're away from home, right? And you don't know how to take care of yourself and There's not a lot of accountability. You're used to your parents telling you what to do, so you have all this freedom. So, um, yeah, I I, I had a panic attack one night, um, and I think I had always had a lot of anxiety, but I never struggled with sleep as much as that schedule was crazy. I always slept like I was able to fall asleep. I did take melatonin a lot for like two years. That was the only thing I really used to, um, which I don't think you can abuse melatonin. I mean, maybe you can. (laughs) So, um, you know, I didn't really ever have a problem with drinking. And part of it was like, I wasn't really allowed to do that stuff anyway. right? Um, But yeah, I definitely think the level of anxiety and stress was really high. Um, And I don't think I really knew how to deal with it other than just kind of being like a workaholic of like, oh, just, Being busy, that was like my, you know, and so it hit it
0: it hit this peak then. Yeah, Um,
1: well, yes, and I mean, every I think episode that a person has, it's always triggered by stress, you know. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the first thing, and so I had a panic attack, and it was really intense. I had never experienced anything like that, and then my mind started racing, um, and yeah, I couldn't sleep, and I was like calling my mom and then one night led to like three or four nights which by that point i was like your body is in like psychosis of like your spirit right i started having suicidal thoughts um i felt a ton of like shame and condemnation which i realized those are like kind of spiritual words mm-hmm. of like like feeling like a you know just negativity um feeling just guilty and dirty. And I think I had problems with like porn and like every guy, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was in like a Christian environment of like feeling shame for all that stuff. I'm like, no, I'm supposed to be pure and holy and doing ministry. So it just kind of made that worse. Um, so yeah, it just all came crashing down and then, um, yeah, after about seven days of not sleeping, Um, My parents had been in California um, and yeah, they were just like, you should come home and like get some help. So no one really at that point really was like, hey, you should see a doctor, you know, Um, though I didn't really give them very much of an opportunity for that to happen because I left. Um, but yeah, no one was really like, you should see a doctor. (laughs) It was just like, oh, you'll, you know, you'll snap out of this, you know? And, and so, yeah, that's what started it. And, um, yeah, I saw a doctor and they were like, yeah, you might be bipolar. And then they gave me some meds. I don't remember what I was taking. And yeah, I still felt like I didn't sleep for like a month total. Like it was like, it was, so it was October at this time. And then, yeah, I had a birthday in November. I remember going and, you know, seeing a movie with my sister. And then I just got really depressed. So it kind of was like mania and then depression. Um, And then, yeah, after a few months, I just kind of snapped out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. and my mom kind of weaned me off the meds. She was like, oh, these, you know, meds are making you look fat. And which was true. And it's like my mom was being my doctor, which she's my mom, not a doctor.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So uh,
1: everybody's experience is different. So I didn't go to a hospital. It was kind of like my parents were my hospital. And then, um, yeah. And then long story short was I just, I went right back to normal. I went back to Kansas City. I finished school. I started playing hockey again for like the first time in like six years. Um, I, I worked at the summer camp doing like all of the fun videos for the camp. And I was like, you know i don't know seeing dark night in the movie theater at midnight like everything just went back to normal
0: back to normal Um, yeah
1: yeah and then and then at the exact same time october november um same thing happened again so i had like a second episode and the second time around i was a little bit less uh concerned i was like oh this is strange like why is this happening again Um, so then I went back to California and it was kind of more like, oh, maybe I'll stay longer. And I got put on like a lot of medication. Um, but kind of similar diagnosis of, I guess there's two types of bipolar. There's like one and two. Right. So I can't remember exactly which one. Um, I think one type one and two, I think the difference is just like you have more One of them's like, you have more mania,
0: you have more mania, right? You're you have higher highs and lower lows.
1: Yeah. And then the other one is just more like you maybe have more depression. So I think for me, it was just, yeah, I just kind of had a, I think the doctor had called it like, he was like, you're cycling or something.
0: Okay.
1: He's like, it's the fall. And he's like, so I got put on a lot of medication, which I didn't realize I, I was taking 1500 milligrams of Seroquel. Mm-hmm. Um, which is crazy high. Like that c- probably could kill somebody,
0: <laughs> you know? That's a and, heavy sedating drug.
1: Yeah. And I know when I just had you on my podcast, I asked you about medication and you were like, oh, I'm a heavyweight. You know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think that was true for me too. Like I would sleep and I couldn't get, never could wake up early, but then I was taking three other medications too. I took Lamectal, clonopin, and Restoril. And Restoril is a benzo, so is Clonopin. Both are very addicting. You're really not supposed to be on any of those for more than like a month. Right. Restoril, you're not really supposed to be on for more than like two weeks. It's really supposed to be kind of like an emergency room. A rescue med. med, yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to help you sleep and it's intense and then you're supposed to kind of get off it. So I don't know what this psychiatrist was doing, but he never changed anything. And I think when I saw him, like every three months, he just was like, oh, you seem fine. You know, he never was like, maybe we should lower it. And so it was a really strange time in life where I think I just didn't have, um, I don't know. I just didn't think that that I was being over medicated. I think I just was like, Oh, I I got a job. I worked at Trader Joe's. So I was able to do that and function. Okay. So I didn't think like, Oh, so anyway, what happened was I did that for like three years. And then I started kind of like forgetting things and like spacing out a lot. And I was like, this is Mm. weird. I'm on meds. How, how could I have an episode again? So I kind of just fired my doctor (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> is the way I would say it, like, ah, I don't want to see you anymore. And he already was in California and I had, I'd have to fly home anyway to see him. Um, and yeah, so then I weaned off of all the meds and I initially felt good for like a couple of months, which is also common. I think for people to experience that where it's like, initially you do good, but then I took it too far and i never like got another doctor to help me. Oh, and, um, I ended up having an, a third episode, which was like the worst time of life. So,
0: yeah. And so that episode, um, led to a hospitalization, right?
1: Yeah. I, um, my sister had just had her first kid. So my mom was in California and my mom flew out to Kansas city to see me. This is like two weeks after that happened. And, um, or a week. And yeah, I, I I had a doctor in Kansas City and she was like, hey, look, maybe you need to just go to the emergency, like the psych unit. Um, maybe that will help. And I kind of gathered around with all my roommates and kind of some uh, pastoral people at the house of prayer came and they were like, yeah, just, just do what the doctor says. <laughs> you know, nobody. Yeah. So that was actually a really good response. Nobody was like, let's just pray for you and pray that this goes away. People were like, yeah, you should go to the hospital. Right. Um, so that was really good. And I remember, um, and you know, I know you've been in the hospital too, so you understand yeah. this. But yeah, you know, when you go, it's like really scary at first. You're like, uh, so I went, it was like a Friday afternoon, and I remember, um I remember I just I hadn't been sleeping, my mind was like going crazy. And I, I remember looking around and seeing all these people and I started hearing stories, like people started telling me like so, I know yeah, I, I drank a uh, perf. Somebody was telling me about like how they were drinking perfume for the yeah. alcohol and people were sitting around smoking. And I was like, I need to get out of here. So I remember asking them like, Hey, can I leave? And they're like, Oh, well you got to wait till Monday to see the doctor. You know, the doctor doesn't come in on the weekends um, you know, you got to wait at least 72 hours. So maybe it would have been different if it was like a different day of the week, you know, cause sometimes you get lucky and like you could see a doctor within like an hour, but yeah. a lot of times you don't see a doctor right away.
0: Like, Oh, a day and a half in, I straight up told him I was out of there. <laughs> yeah. I was I like, said, I, I'm done.
1: Yeah. I did the same. I mean, literally after a couple of hours and then I, you know, I think I probably talked to my mom on the phone and then I kind of calmed down and then um, I ended up being there on my birthday. My birthday was like four days later. And um, yeah, it was. They, they gave me something, maybe it was Haldol, I don't know. And um, I actually woke up in like a different part of the hospital in like a different room. I don't know what happened where I was like, why am I not in the same room? And I had slept for the first time in like a week and, wow. I, woke up and I felt totally fine. I was like stabled out and I was like well this is weird and then yeah my roommate my roommates came to see me and they wanted to bring in a guitar to play like worship music
0: uh-huh. and,
1: and they actually let us do that which was like unheard. like no one they were like well normally we don't let you bring an instrument in here and then normally we don't let you have this many people that they made an exception so like my mom came my roommates came and um, it was, in, yeah, and this like girl who was in the hospital, she was like, can you play this uh, gungur song, uh, Beautiful Things? <laughs> like she had a request and, and my friend Bruce was playing and we're all like ministering to each other. So it was actually a really good experience. I was like, oh, I like the hospital. I like all these people.
0: <laughs> well, that's good but, that it was a good experience. It's not that way for everybody. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I will say that um, because I had gotten off all these meds, after I got out of the hospital, I I went right back to work. It's like Thanksgiving time. It's Trader Joe's. It's stressful. I started just, I, I I started kind of like spiraling down again. I was like, Oh, I can't handle all this. So I had to like quit my job and um, I ended up doing like an outpatient program for like a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So it was a mess. So I did that. Then I went back in the hospital again. Then I moved back to Cali. And yeah, I just, I was in this horrible episode, like every day I felt like suicidal. And, um, and I was telling you earlier, like I was afraid of going to hell, you know, if I was suicide, which I know that that can be like a, um, Christian thing we can struggle with of like, you know, this fear of like, what's going to happen to you. I mean, no one really knows. Right. I
0: was raised, (laughs) I was raised that if you commit suicide, you go to hell.
1: Yeah. And I, I was, I, that was my thinking. I i, I don't yeah. know if I think that way now. I mean, I, I, f- f- I mean, as a side note, if someone dies by suicide and they're a Christian and you tell their parents, well, you might be in hell. You know what right. I mean? That would be like a horrible way to console someone. You know what I mean? Because first of all, no one, I, I, I don't know. I guess I have mixed feelings because I've been there where I'm like, oh, I want to choose mercy and compassion. Like, Every time. So it's right. not my job to be like, oh, well, he might be in hell. You right. Know? But yeah, I was convinced that that would have been my, and like my, my, my sister, she had gone through a depression too. And she was like, oh, I felt the same way. You know, yeah. and I was like, dang, what kind of church did we grow up in? You know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> right. So
1: anyway. So, um, so
0: yeah. talk to me about, um, I mean, I've been suicidal and, and have been at that place in my life talk yeah. to me about what that feeling is what that emotion is when you're in the bottom of that hole
1: man that's a great question yeah I listened to your you did an episode on being suicidal mm-hmm. um it's really good I um yeah it's really hard to explain I think it just is that a part of your mind um you feel like you don't really have any control of yourself. And so the thought of suicide is almost like, it's almost like something's controlling you. Mm
0: -hmm. So like
1: the force of, of the, the, the pathway in your mind of like, um, well, the only way to really get out of this pain is to die. It's like that just becomes so loud that you block out, all kind of rational like reasoning of like okay well what about the people i'm gonna hurt you know what about my mom <laughs> you know like right. my mom and dad first of all would be ruined my sister would be ruined my brother-in-law i mean the the idea of eternity you know all these things but it's just you're um i i know it's hard to explain it's like it's just it feels like you're not in control of those thoughts so the more that you think them over and over again, like all day, every day, um, for just me,
0: reinforces it, just, it. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It was like this obsession, and then you're fighting with everything in you to just not have those thoughts. Right. And the more you fight and like lean into it, the just the harder it gets. And and um, I just felt like I was being swallowed up by this this. Um, not that it was external; it felt like it was inside of me. You know, was like, Yeah.
0: It's you like know. a runaway train though. It's like, you can't, you can't get a hold of it and, and stop it. There's nothing that feels like is in your power to arrest that runaway train. It's, it's just overwhelming.
1: Yeah. And it seems like the only way to cope is to hold on to the idea that um, you can't stay in the same place forever. Right. In your mind, like it's actually impossible to be stuck for, you know, 20 years or something, right? But the problem is that I think we are, as humans, we're, um, we're made to experience emotions and mm-hmm. feel. So it's the feeling that something's permanent that kind of trumps the truth that nothing's permanent. right. Um, And that's really, really hard to accept when you're in it because it's just like, man, I just remember waking up during that time every day. And I'm just like, maybe the only relief I got was a little bit of sleep every night, but my sleep was horrible for like eight months. Yeah, I felt like I didn't really sleep and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just feel tormented in my mind. And I'd wake up every morning. And I'd be like, Oh, here we go again. Just another day of trying to survive. And um, yeah, it's
0: Groundhog day. You just, <laughs> you know, it's just on, on repeat. So um, how did you go from that low, low point to wanting to be a mental health advocate? You, you are an advocate through your podcast, through NAMI, um, mm-hmm. through different things that you do in your life. What, what Made that transition for
1: you? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, it took a lot of time to get better. Um, I tried to overdose. I ended up in a coma. I almost died. That was kind of the mm-hmm. climax of that season. And um, I believe God saved me from the coma. I, I had a church praying for me. They prayed for like four hours, and the day they prayed was the day I woke up. Um, so yeah, it wasn't until I was really I was in the hospital for five months. Um, and after about a month of kind of the meds doing their thing, I started feeling better. Um, I guess that's where it started where I was like, oh, I need to, I had kind of just like an experience with acceptance where I was like, I need to accept this or else I'm going to just keep coming back to the hospital, you know,
0: right, <laughs> like, right. I need to
1: take my meds and like 10 other things, you know, like I need to do therapy. I need to start talking about this more. Um, and so, yeah, it took about a couple of years. And then I actually, when I first moved to Pomona, I, I joined this kind of community program through the clinic where I got psychiatry help and therapy. They had a program called Courageous Minds. So this is way before NAMI. And Courageous Minds was just basically a program where you could craft your story and then share your story to schools and to like, like it's mostly students and stuff so I actually did that with this lady named Jamie who I'm gonna have on my podcast pretty soon and um, she really so that's where it started where I was like oh I've been through all this pain and suffering for the last like eight years I almost just died um I love God I've always felt a call to like preach the gospel and like speak mm-hmm. and so it just kind of came together in in that time I was like I think it's important for me to start sharing my story. And that was like 2014, 2015. And then, and then I had about a two year break where I didn't do anything because I was traveling for my job. And then, um, yeah, I, then I just got back into it and yeah. And that led to Nami. So that's kind of a little bit of a summary. Um,
0: if yeah, that that's sense. really, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, um, I think it's empowering too, isn't it? Um, to be able to share your story and to be able to say, um, I'm, I'm broken, but I survived and you can too. I think there's some power in that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it just, it, it kind of rectifies and justifies the suffering and the pain that you went through to be able to like And I know it's like a cliche thing that people say and people sell you speaking programs based on this, right. Of like, you know, everybody has a story and your mess is your message. And you know, your test is your testimony and all this stuff. (laughs) Sometimes we just hear that. I've never
0: heard that.
1: (laughs) That that feels like old school Pentecostal (laughs) stuff. You know, your test is your testimony, brother. And it's just like, yeah, I'm, some people could be like well, who cares you know like who cares right. about my mess and that's probably coming from a place of like you're still feel stuck but i do think when you do come out of things um or your pain becomes your purpose that's like that's just like sell me a book with that title on it you know um and but i do think it's true and i think you got to kind of do it because it's um i think seeing people find hope from you just being vulnerable Um, that's kind of what keeps me in the game of doing it, you know, Wow, people are actually changing, like this could actually save someone's life, you know, like,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. wow, Jared almost died. And now he's like, you know, now he's doing better and same for you, right? You've been through a ton of stuff, um, as we just were, were talking about on my podcast and like, wow, look at all the stuff you're doing. You're doing a podcast and you're writing, um, you know, it's like, I, I, and so, to be honest, sometimes I'm like, well, I wish I had something else to talk about, you know? Yeah. I yeah, wish I, know. I could be like an expert in like talking about hockey or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or movies. So Right. Not but not this saying, is I'm what we've saying, been
0: given, right?
1: Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm not interested in other things. I'm like, I look at all the books I've bought this year because I've been trying to read more and I'm like, it's all like mental health stuff. You know, it's all like memoirs. And I'm like, should I take a break from this? You know? And so (laughs) I do think anyway, I just, to be honest, I'm like, no, I don't want to be a mental health advocate all the time. Like, I don't want to be like posting about bipolar. Um, So I do think you got to do it because you want to help people or else lots of things you get burnt out. But I do think it's a God thing. I do think it's a, it's a calling and a, an invitation, I think, from God to be like, "Hey, I want you to step into this, this topic that's makes a lot of people really uncomfortable." And,
0: Absolutely, you
1: know, it's like a ministry thing too, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I have one last question for you, um, and it's it's kind of a kind of a big one. <laughs> so, what do you think the world most needs to know about mental health issues?
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like I just, I watched this comedy special recently. It's called The Great Depression by Gary Goldman. It's on HBO Max, if you have HBO. But he he talks about his depression and he does a whole comedy special. And he was like, yeah, that's the thing about life. He's like, it's every single day. That's just kind of like how he ends it, you know? And yep. I'm like, that is pretty much the message. I think mental illness is, it's every single part of your life. It's your thoughts. It's your relationships. Um, it affects everything you do. And it's every day you have to work on it and show mm-hmm. up for yourself and um, Maybe more than you show up for other people, you know. Yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. I think the language has always been, or for a while, is like, okay, you can't love people unless you love yourself, right? That's everybody loves to say that, right? And it's like, okay, great. What does that mean, you know? Um, and yeah, I think, I, I yeah, it's a big question. I think you, people need to understand that it's like, you, you know, I think you said it when I was interviewing you. You're like. I'm just, I always am going to have this mental illness and I just got to find ways to, to try to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's something that's going to go away. I think that's what I'd want people to understand. It's like, it's not, the goal is to not make it go away either. That's like not the goal. right? You know? And I think that we want to do that in our like trying to fix people kind of thing of like, no, let's try to fix and Obviously yeah. there's books and movements on like, here's cures and antidotes for your depression without medicine or whatever. Um, and I'm interested in that stuff because I would like it to go away <laughs> sometimes, you know? Um, but I, I think God is more inviting us into this space of like living with it and mm-hmm. um, that and that's okay. And to try right. to be okay with that. Um but yeah, great question. I hope I answered that. Okay. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just think there's a graciousness, um, of God that we see in the dark places that is, is different than what you can see in the light. And, um, and I, I think there's, there's beauty to be found in that when, when we're in the dark and when we feel lost and when we feel broken and God shows up, it's, um, it's pretty spectacular. So, well, thank you for showing up for us and thank you for yeah. sharing about your life and your story. The podcast is again, it's the
1: louder now podcast and uh, you know, it's on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, um, Amazon, and, uh, maybe a cast box. I don't know if people use that. Um, and <laughs> I'll give you my uh, information. I have a link tree that's kind of got all the links. So
0: Great. We yeah. will post that. So, Jared, thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me. And also, thank you for being on my podcast, too. So
0: That's awesome. <laughs> all right. Bye. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast today. You can follow Jill on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, jillreilly.author, and on Twitter, jill Riley Author. Email jill at jillreilly.org.